Very good to see everybody this nice, chilly afternoon. Welcome. It's a blessing to be here and to consider and dive into a subject, a study that I am surely not worthy of exploring to its fullest, but I pray and trust it will be a benefit to everyone today in the coming weeks. Let's begin in a word of prayer because we are in need of much help from the Spirit of God to fathom these, these truths of our Father, of our Creator. Mighty God, we, we humbly bow before your throne and come to you this afternoon seeking, Lord, your great help in understanding, in contemplating, Lord, your vastness and the attributes of your character, of your being. So, Father, we we pray that your Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds, that we would be filled with both knowledge of you and understanding of you, that we might joyfully, humbly, wantingly, lovingly glorify and worship your holy name and know you that we might as well be known by you. Bless this time, Father. Help me to speak coherently, clearly of your truths, of your glories, of your character. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we began last week, our rather lengthy introduction I want to just touch on a couple things again real quick because I I left out one part, not on purpose, but we went through some things quickly, but I want to cover that today. But just a reminder, as I gave you some scriptures, just to keep in mind to meditate on as we look into the attributes of God, and particularly today, the aseity of God, Job 22, 21 to 22, know intimately and be at peace with him. Thereby good will come to you. Please receive instruction from his mouth and establish his words in your heart. And also Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might and let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And when we consider the the existence of God and when we begin any study of theology, you know we have to begin with the two presuppositions. Anybody remember what those were from last time? Correct? God exists and? He's a reward of those who seek him. <laughs> That's true. That is true. That is a truth. <clears throat> that he has revealed himself, right? In his word. Pray that my writing gets better as we continue. Around. And I shared briefly from Burkhoff that, that 
there is a, a self-existent, a self-conscious personal being who is the origin of all things, who transcends all of his creation, but is evident within his creation, revealing to us his invis- invisible attributes. And we saw this from Romans one twenty. The foundation of all true knowledge of God must be a clear mental apprehension of his perfections, of his character, his attributes as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. And that's a quote from A.W. Pink. Otherwise, how would we properly worship him? How would we come to know him? How would we, in proper mind and soul worship of God, if, how could we trust him if we did not know him, know his ways. And not only know him, but as Galatians 4, nine says, to be known by God. So we must look to his word that he has revealed himself in, to us in order that we may have and hold a high view of God. This is not something natural within us. This is something that is only created in us by a work of the Holy Spirit and enabling from a supernatural power outside of ourselves. And as I said last time in in remembrance of of Sproul's message, this is how we are to fight the good fight of faith, to to have a relationship with an unseen, untouchable, intangible God who is spirit. And this is the fight that we have throughout our walk and our lives in the Christian life. But this is how he has revealed to us through his son, through his word that fuels the fires of of our faith to, to purify our hearts, to creating us that joy of worshiping and knowing him. And these are some of the many reasons we're going to go through this study on the attributes of God and looking at how do they impact our lives? You know, what's the reality of this in our life? How is it how does it fill our hearts with worship and awe? How does it aid significantly in our walk, our communion with him? And how will we be aided in in finding our greatest contentment and peace and treasure in Christ? And two things I forgot to mention last time when we were considering his attributes. There are two classifications of his attributes. And they are... Very good. Communicable, which means... Right. But one thing important with that is that they f- still find their fullest expression in God, even though they are communicable. They're shared with us. We only share in a portion, a part. Some of those would be love, wisdom. Anyone else? Existence. Trust. Existence. Amanda says trust. Trust. <laughs> Amen. Hello, Amanda. Mercy. Justice, knowledge, intellect, incommunicable. And they are only within God, only in his being. And right, aseity, mutability, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, his sovereignty, his holiness, okay? But remember how we, my 
crazy drawings that I got from Wayne Grudem. How do we comprehend these attributes? Are they independent spheres of God that one is maybe larger than the other or more pronounced than it? No. They're all in what we call harmony or the simplicity of God, that they're, they're united in God, in his, in his Godhead. He's not composed of parts or compartments, but they are harmonious. One attribute may be emphasized over another, as we see in Scripture at different times, but this does not mean that it dominates in God's being. A better understanding is to see them united. Each are, are completely true of God and true of God's character. Just like if we looked at 1 John 1, 5 says God is light, and 1 John 4, 4, 5 says God is love. That doesn't mean he's part light and part love, but that in God himself who is love, in God himself who is light. So our first attribute we started looking at was the aseity of God, or the aseity. That's a c from Latin, which we get from we get from the Latin that is from himself or from self. Another way to describe it is his solitariness or his eternal self-existence. And as I come to find out very quickly in my studies, this is. Pastor, you can agree or challenge me on this. I think this is one of the most difficult, <laughs> incommunicable attributes to even attempt to get our finite minds around, to fully grasp, to, to fully see. But it stirs within, and I pray it does with you, just a heart of worship, that there is a God who has no beginning and no end, who is uncaused, who is not dependent on anyone or anything outside of himself. We could rightly say that God exists by the necessity of his own being. God is of himself his own being. He is the quintessence of being, the only true being, because he is unchanging. He is not in any kind of flux. He is not on a learning curve. He is eternal in his existence and in his self-sufficiency. We, as, as created beings, as creatures, do not exist necessarily. In other words, there is a cause for our existence that's outside of ourselves. We are changing, and as we're going to look at here in a minute, as, as philosophy gets into, we are becoming. We are always changing. We become wiser, hopefully. We do get older. We're in constant need in the basics from our breath, our, our life that we receive from God. We have a beginning. We have an end. We are from the dust, and we return to the dust. And we, we see this eternality of God expressed wonderfully in David's heart from some of the Psalms in his Thanksgiving declaration, Psalm 93.2, your throne is established from old, you are from everlasting. And in Psalm 90, 1 through 4, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, 
Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. And when we go even to the first page in our Bibles and look at Genesis 1-1, and we're going to look at this a little bit later on too, but you know, consider this very profound reality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There, there is no time when he did not exist, when he did not rule, when he did not reign. He was already the I am at the beginning of our recorded time. Paul speaks of this too in, in Acts 17 when he was on Mars Hill responding to the idol of the unknown God where he tells them, these great wise men of their day, you know, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And this self-existent attribute, this aseity of our God, is what is even recognized in what is called the absolute of philosophy. This goes back to some of the earlier Greek philosophers, <clears throat> excuse me, before, even before Aristotle and Plato, um, looking at two philosoph- philosophers in particular, Parmenides and Heraclitus. And these men, as, as well as the other philosophers, and I'm not bowing us down at the throne or the idol of, of Aristotle or any philosophers, so don't, don't panic, don't worry. I glean this from the study of our dear brother, who's now with the Lord, Mr. Sproul, Dr. Sproul. But um, they too were searching out the deepest questions of truth, of human truth, that humans could be engaged in, that, that ultimate principle or that principle of ultimate reality, that, that transcendental metaphysical truth that would explain all other truths and searching for a, a transcendent unity that would make sense of all the diversity in the world. This was their quest. This is what they pondered over. But for these two guys, Parmenides and Heraclitus, there was, there was an impasse between these two philosophers. Parmenides, his most famous philosophical insight is the affirmation. This is, this is really profound. <laughs> what is, is. <laughs> he was concerned, and a little joke that Dr. Sproul says he wasn't the president of Greece, so don't worry about that. He was concerned, truly concerned, for what the meaning of what is, is. And it, it simply means that for something to exist, there has to be being. Okay? Is that registering, following so far? 
Okay. Now, any questions? I think okay. For yes. For me, uh, learning that, and I hope to recognize that a rock as being, not just things that are. We're going to get into that. Hold that thought. That's good. You're, you're, you're on track. Now, Heraclitus, he challenged this, and he said, nothing is, there was no such thing as a pure absolute being because everything we observe in the world around us, every dimension of our experience, every object of our knowledge is given to change, okay? Everything is in a state of flux. The only thing that is constant is change. And his famous metaphor is that you cannot step into the, the same river twice. And what he meant was, when you step into a river, as soon as you lift your other foot to step in, that water has moved, the, the, the sediment structure has changed, you have changed even in that nanosecond of time, that everything is in a constant city of flux, moment by moment. And if anything defines human existence or creaturely identity, it is change. It is impermanence. Now, instead of this concept of being, Heraclitus substitute the concept of becoming, which we all are, which what I said earlier, we're, we're becoming older, hopefully wiser. We're in constant change. Now, a distinction must be made between that which is permanent, eternal, non-changing, not in a state of flux, being from that anything that manifests the characteristics of becoming. Okay, everybody still on track here? Okay. Both men actually partially understood some of the aspects of God. and I wouldn't say they were believers by any means, but they understood the aspects of God and, and being, for they understood that being must be eternal. It must be unchanging and a basis for everything else that is. For without being somewhere, without a being, there can be no becoming. We are in a state of becoming and not being, okay? So we've got to go back again to Genesis 1.1, where we find the, the very fundamental assertion in historic Christianity that is the most bombarded by secular philosophy, neo-paganism, that if we could get rid of this creation account, we can get rid of God, we can do whatever we want, we can live however we want. And all that divides us, Christians, with these other groups is in this opening assertion in the Old Testament here. For we know from this that the entire universe, as we know it, had a beginning. There was a time when it was not, okay? And that the most important time in history, with Christ in view here too, the theory and the origin of the cosmos screams for the existence of an eternal being. And if you're saying, if you say there is a beginning of the universe, then there's two options. Either it came out of nothing by itself or was created by something that is self-existent and eternal. And if any measure of time passed, there was, in any measure of time passed, there was nothing. There existed no being. There was no becoming, no 
no actuality, no no potentiality, just non-being or nothing, then what would there be now? Nothing. Okay? Out of nothing comes nothing. So, the Big Bang Theory. What kind of explosion can nothingness cause? All right. And, and even now, the astrophysicists are stretching it to say, well, for nothing to become something just takes a very, very, very long time now. So, anyway, it's, it's worth laughing about. So, without God, there can be no beginning. Without being, there can be no becoming. And what's interesting, this really challenged me and Dr. Sproul, and this is where we'll get into this, brother, <clears throat> is that we even see this in our modern language. You know, popular phrase that we all know very well, especially in evangelical circles, is a question. How are you? And our answer would be, I am fine. And, and even in our language, we have, in the basics of the to-be verb, a sense of being. Yeah. It relates to, this question relates to our existence. And our response is a statement of condition, our existence and our being. And... The other verbs to be there, am, are, were, is, all those are all forms of, of being. And we, we use this, as you said, in a graduated way. We have, what, dirt and rocks. You said we had a state of being, right? And then you go up to plant life has its being, right? Animals, uh, human beings, spiritual, right? And then ultimately, supreme being. Hope my writing get better. And we use this in, in, a, in a graduated way, like a stepladder, per se, that there's a being of rocks and dirt, plants, animals, a higher order, um, animal kingdom, human being, spiritual beings, supreme being. But this suggests that there is such a thing as being of which all things in reality participate in one way or another. And the difference between God and the dirt and the rocks is just a matter of degrees. That's what our language conveys, right? And we see the, the difference really is found in the qualifier for being in this distinction. We look at these adjectives, these qualifiers for being. Oh, yes. That it has a certain existence, just like plant life, yeah, all those. And and bear with me just a second, we're getting to this. 
and we see the difference found in the qualifier for being in this distinction between human and supreme beings, but the real difference between supreme and human beings is not in the adjectives, but the difference is really this, being, because this is a great misnomer in our language to refer to rocks and plants and animals, people and angels as beings. In the strict sense, no one of us is a being in and of ourself, right? We are from an outside source. We have been created. We do not just exist. True humility for a believer is, is going to be found when we contemplate the one God who himself is, is pure and eternal, this self-existent being who needs nothing from, from us, from our bank accounts, from our hands, nothing needed to exist and be in, in his absolute perfection at all time. That he alone in realizing who he is and supreme being of himself is worthy of our, our praise, our love, our joy, our thanksgiving. What does this reality, what does this truth do to our pride, our, our self-preservation, our, our self-sufficiency? What about our fears and our worries that we know and serve and be, realize we have been created as children of God by and known by a supreme being himself? In, as I mentioned one part earlier, you know, even this this could be looked at logically in the, in the necessary being of God. What I mean by this is that as God is eternal and perfect and self-existent, who needs nothing from us or his continuity for his continuity of existence, is a necessary being in the sense that he is a self-existent, eternal being that cannot possibly not be. In other words, he cannot be confused with the creature below. He fully knows all contingencies. There's no what-ifs in his being, but only a, a fullness of his perfection, of his knowledge and power and all his attributes. And God's being is also ontologically necessary. He, he cannot not be. The very idea of being carries with it its, its necessity. He is by eternal necessity, which is something that can never be said of any creature. And necessary, the necessary being of God must also be considered from, from a logical sense, too. It is logically necessary in that it demands the reality of an eternal self-existent being. I mean, the, the proof of this, Dr. Sproul, as you pointed out, is, is the existence of this marker right here. You know, for something to exist, something exists that has the power of being in itself or nothing else could exist. And that being is the creator God that has the power of life within himself 
and the power of being within himself. This is why Paul said to the philosophers at Mars Hill that it is for in him that we live and move and have our existence. Before we were, he lives and moves and is, and he has power of being in in himself, and this is the transcendent majesty of who he is. We, We tend to think of how great we may be or we are until we turn our eyes to heaven and to him who is. And we owe the one who is not a creature the glory of the perfection of his very being. For we, we cannot exist apart from God. We cannot move, we cannot breathe apart from God. And very hypothetically, if, if anything would happen to the being of God, we would cease to exist. God is our, the ultimate source of all things, and our magnificent, hugely vast, yet so very finite universe owes its entire existence to the infinite God and creator. Yes, brother. Right, and these all exist because of his being. They're all from him. Yeah, exactly. Yes, brother. Exactly. There's no definition of what a being is apart from the biblical worldview. Because apart from that, you couldn't know anything at all. Not right. properly. You know, and just a verse to go with that is First Corinthians chapter one, uh, verses uh, nineteen and twenty. Yep. Where he says that the, the philosophers, as you would, through their own wisdom, wisdom. never arrived at true knowledge and never came to know God. Amen. So there is a, and I know that you're saying that, but I just, you know, anyhow we introduce, you know, this is kind of like the philosophical. The Scott, yeah. I think it's important to give the, the premises to the biblical worldview as far as how do we even know any of these categories are either true or false or we're, we're experiencing any of these things. You know what I mean? Like, Apart from that, right. You know, Heraclitus could not, or Parmenides, he had no idea whether or not he was stepping into a river or not, you know, without God himself. God himself, right. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. Amen. And that's that was actually one of the scriptures I was going to get to is 1 Corinthians on that because I don't want to leave it there and just 
philosophical standing, but yeah, we're going to... Hmm. Appreciate that. Amen. Uh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Hey. should grow in that with age <laughs> Lord willing and that I mean that led me up to my next verse was Psalm 24 you know the earth is the Lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Amen. So we may reverently and and with a humble heart ask, as as Brian was alluding to, you know, why why would an eternal, all sufficient, fully self sustaining, majestic, triune God, I can't come up with enough adjectives to to give him glory. But why would he choose or determine to create what we know as our universe, you know, our, our planet, even, even ourselves? Since he existed eternally without anything and not in need of anything, full, glorious, loving communion in the triune God, was it because he was lonely or needed something? No, no. Paul would say, nay, it never be. And Jesus himself alluded to this in his high priestly prayer in, in John seventeen five, where he says, Now, Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So he speaks of that, that blessed communion before creation existed. And if he created the universe and all that is within it, not by any necessity of his own, but entirely for his own glory and according to his good pleasure. It, it is his good pleasure that we're here, that we can now share fellowship with him and with one another, that he has brought us not only into existence, not on to, only to enjoy his creation, but to know him now through the work of his spirit, through the work of his son. We carried no voice or say in when or how we would be born or who our parents would be. 
what nation we would be born into. Nothing was required to come into existence. It, it was God's self-determined act to display that power and glory of his love and majesty. I like what Pink says about this. He said, God was under no constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create. That he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part caused by nothing outside of himself. He wasn't coerced. Someone didn't suggest to him, oh, you better do this, you need to do this. But he determined by nothing but his own mere good pleasure. And just some scriptures to, to consider and meditate on this. Psalm 102, 27. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Just consider the, the steadfastness and the eternality of the Lord, that he does not change in his being and his ways. How does this impact our faith and our daily walk that we can go to a never-changing, self-sustained, eternally providing God on our behalf? It, it, it obliterates our worries. It should obliterate them and our fears that we can truly rest in him. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with a contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This tells us how how we must, how we should approach this high and holy God who has created us out of the mere acts of his good pleasure on our behalf. And as God is is self-sufficient, we see in Romans 11, 34 and 36, that he was not in in need of an outside source of wisdom apart from himself. He was not in need of anything from anyone that would some, he would somehow be in debt to them or another or be obligated to make a return payment for something that he has received. And Paul says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? It is for us to seek him, to seek his counsel and wisdom. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God is the source of all things, for all things are truly from him. And that being from his sovereign will. And God is the means of all things, for they are all sourced through him. And that is through his sovereign activity. And God is the goal of all things, for they are returned to him in glory. And that is to his sovereign glory. And the, the infinity, the enormity, the majesty of our God is beyond our comprehension. It is, it is beyond our ability to truly and fully grasp in its totality. Yet he compels us to come to him, to, to lose ourselves in his vastness, in his greatness, and to enjoy him to the glory of our God. But we are, are but creatures, although nothing in our lives is big in comparison to our glorious God and our Heavenly Father. And for those who are his children, there are infinite unquenchable resources of his grace 
to meet every real need in our lives and to encourage us in the midst of trial to increase our faith and our enjoyment of him as we rely upon him. So looking, considering his aseity in summary, we were made to be worshipers and in Christ to enjoy him. And we are now enabled to glorify him and to bring him joy. And in knowing him, we find our greatest need fulfilled and we can also bring to him, he welcomes our, us to bring him daily our needs, our trials, our burdens, big and small, all of our fears and our worries that we may cast them upon him, for his shoulders are great and mighty. He can bear these burdens. Psalm 71.6, By you I have been sustained from my birth, You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. He not only knit us together within the womb, but brought us forth and now as regenerate saints made into spirit-enabled worshipers. Psalm 54.4, Behold, God is my helper, the sustainer of my soul. I love Zephaniah 3.17. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, and he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. This is truly a comfort and a great joy to know our Creator and Savior rejoices over us. And Paul says in Ephesians 1.11, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Yes, brother. So the importance of God's aseity, along the lines of what Brian was just sharing. Are we insignificant if God doesn't need us? Don't be assigned value. Pardon? We are not. We should be assigned value. Amen. 
he has declared we are significant because of our union in Christ, right? Yeah, Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor either present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we apply this? I mean, Brian was alluding this to, to this too. Because God chose to love us when he didn't need us. We find and have in this ultimate meaning. This is where our meaning is. So because of God's love for us, demonstrated through Christ and his salvation, we're now able, with this understanding of God's aseity, in our lives, affecting our lives, creating us and calling us to himself, we're now able to love those and should love those who can't give us anything. And we see that in Scripture. That Christ talks about this in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. We didn't earn that love. There's no way we could have earned that love. We didn't deserve that love but he loved us that we are to love one another. And James one twenty seven, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world. Amen. Can I ask Sure. Um, just it's similar to what Brian was saying, um, and you had asked that, just our pride I think is what you said mm-hmm. you said something else after that but it really does knowing that your com- your complete existence is altogether reliant upon the very will of another person and you think that you have the power to do right. and have like you know you have the ability to say like like in James what you're going to do tomorrow what you're going to do next year what you're going to all these different things and like the whole point of that is that it's just very autonomous thinking yeah and that's that's the whole issue with sin is, is the sin of autonomy right right and but how when we're reconciled to God the sin of autonomy is, is, is if the Lord wills exactly that, that yeah. you, you begin to know who you are yeah in the presence of God in light of who God is right then you begin to say well I will do that if God sustain my, sustains yeah. my existence if he wills that then I will do that and there's a joy and a comfort in that to know that if it doesn't happen, amen. amen. He, he, he's Lord of all, or he's Lord of nothing. <laughs> yes, right. It really teaches you humility, you know, the safety of God. Amen. There you go. Amen. Anything else? Right. Yes. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Where the engagement, John Piper, I've talked about this before, the late Toby has a um, a great sermon series called Battling Unbelief. Yep. And it's on all kinds of different yep. things that I think would help with. Amen. If you're looking at these things and going, how can I, you know, it's, it's hard if you're, you know, 
Amen. I believe, but help my unbelief. Yeah, amen. I have a quick question. Uh, what would you say to somebody that says that God didn't want heaven without us? I heard that in a song, and I turned, I turned the song. <laughs> we'll leave that song from, uh, Hillsong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll so leave it there. Enough <laughs> 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 said. Yeah. Okay, it's time for worship.